Hello and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rockin' good time talking about all your favorite movie soundtracks. My name is Joseph Wade. I will be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight on our uh, maiden's voyage for the year of 2023 is my lovely and belligerent co-host Libby Cudmore. Libby, Happy New Year! Happy New Year, Joe. It's good to be back. I know it's been a little a little while, but I think we've needed the time off to really recharge our uh, OST party batteries. But I'm ready to yes, go. Yes, indeed. And I have had voyages and uh, experiences that have made me a better podcaster and specifically suited to talk about this soundtrack. Very good. I, on the other hand, have been locked away in my office slash bunker for the last three weeks and I'm ready to talk to literally any other human being. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that you settled for me. <laughs> of course. Why? Who better? Who better than Libby Cudmore to talk to? <laughs> no, no kidding. We just spent an hour before the podcast talking about Star Wars and shit. So yep. you know what? It's off to a good start. It is. <laughs> uh, but this week on the show, we're discussing uh, the 1999 uh, Brendan Fraser Alicia Silverstone rom-com Blast from the Past. So we are kicking off the start of the Brendan Assance, uh, our salute to Brendan Fraser. Mm-hmm. And we are closing down our Swing Trilogy. This That's is right. the last one that we're going to talk about. It kind of caps off the end of the Swing Revival era. One series ends, another begins. Brendan Fraser just uh, starting to take home some awards for The Whale. Good for him. So I'm glad. I'm happy for him. We're uh, predicting a win at the Oscars, and frankly, he should have gotten it for uh, everything else. But we'll uh, we'll take the whale. So yeah, good on you, man. the The whale will be a legacy win for Looney Tunes back in action. I was gonna say uh, Monkey Bone, but you know, I tried to pick release the, the selic cut of Monkey Bone, you cowards. <laughs> yes, that's right. I tried to pick the silliest option, and I think I nailed it. Um, but yeah, it, maybe we'll talk about another Brendan Fraser movie uh, come Oscar season back uh, up in March. Who knows? Yes. The, so stay tuned. The the future, the, you know, the world is our oyster here on the show. So, uh, Libby, this was this was your pick, and we just kind of we went through all of our reasons for choosing this. But uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Blast from the Past. Well, this is only the second time I've seen this film. Uh, this was one that I remember putting on at the video store where I worked. I don't remember anything about it, except that at one point, Brendan Fraser swing dances, and that is enough for me. <laughs> it's kind yeah, this is little film, though. Like, it's it's weird. It's really weird. It's, it's, it's the kind of weird movie, the weird kind of mainstream, big budget star vehicle that they made in the 90s and really don't anymore because it goes a lot of bonkers places yeah we were talking about this earlier like it's the kind of movie that they really could have only made in the 90s because you know a couple of years too early and you're you know brushing up against you know the end of the cold war but a couple of years too late and it's 9-11 and who cares about you know the 60s anymore yeah but 
1999 really is that kind of perfect sweet spot for a movie like this that's on the one hand like deeply like got that deep kind of 90s cynical edge to it but also is just so like cheerful and gung-ho about the future and like man i remember feeling both of those ways and i kind of miss it peter is of course on the edge of y2k the end of the millennium uh or the willennium as we know it on the ost <laughs> party i um, right. and so yeah there is a weird optimism for being better people which of course we all saw go to hell mm-hmm. now that we're at 90 seconds to midnight so mm-hmm. here we are 2023 let's get yeah, just keep rolling those tanks right up into kiev guys just go for it right jeez but let's no. not despair because blast from the past is such a fun goofy little movie that it's really hard to be cynical and angry about it ah uh, it tries its darndest but it it fills you with with hope and some swing music and dishwalla for some reason because i guess we're still doing that yeah why not yeah sure <laughs> um but hey before we get into the soundtrack proper uh, I have a little bit of billboarding school. Let's hear it. Blast from the Past debuted uh, in theaters February 12th, 1999. Uh, but yeah, Blast from the Past debuted at number five. The movie took $40 million on a $35 million budget, so not a big hit. Well, at uh, February release, what did you expect? Right, but like a, a, a Valentine's Day release for a rom-com, you think that's a slam dunk. Apparently not. Yeah, but this isn't quite a rom-com. It has the romantic comedy elements, but it's too weird. <laughs> it's it, too yeah. weird to be a straight rom-com. But I, I do remember them selling it really hard on the rom-com angle, though. So I think people people saw right through it. <laughs> uh, and to that effect, the soundtrack, as far as I could tell, did not chart at all. So instead... Uh, here's some stats from the artists who appear on the album the week the film came out. Okay. Uh, so first and foremost, we've got REM. They're on the soundtrack. Their album Up uh, was at number 163. And it, it had peaked at number three. Like this, Their first album without their drummer was a big hit for some reason. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Everclear with So Much for the Afterglow. <laughs> that album was at number 54. And it had been on the charts for 69 weeks at this point. Nice. Nice. Uh, and their song, I'll Buy You a New Life, that song peaked at number 31. We might talk about that a little bit later. And finally, the one year I know Libby's excited to talk about, the Daddy's album, Zoot Suit Riot, was at number 198. It had been on the charts. It's about for- to fall off the charts. Exactly. But it had- it had been on for a solid year at that for point. For a solid year. And we will definitely talk about that uh, in a little bit. So, yeah, that's that's all the billboarding school that I've got. So, like, this, the soundtrack came out and, you know, it had some some charting names on the album. And then some names that were kind of bubbling up, you know, a, a little bit underneath the radar. So, we'll talk about a lot of that. <clears throat> what we do here. That's what so. we do. <laughs> so now I will throw it to you, Libby, to explain what Blast from the Past is about. So Blast from the Past follows uh, Adam Weber, played by uh, international treasure Brendan Fraser, um, who has been raised in a bunker 
that his father, played by Christopher Walken, and mother, played by Sissy Spacek, built in the 60s and hid inside, mistaking a plane crash for the bomb going off. So he is sent out into uh, the realm of the late 90s for supplies where he meets and charms Elisa Silverstone and Dave Foley and really everyone around him with his homespun manners and white boy charm. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very white film. And it's an extremely strange premise for a movie. For a rom-com. For a rom-com, absolutely. My husband described it as Encino Man meets the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. That's really it in a nutshell, yeah. That's perfect. <laughs> He's alive, damn it. Premise is Encino Man. It's kind of Encino Man, but for chicks. Yeah. Weirdly, it's a very weird movie, but it's it's pretty charming. It is. It's it's definitely got its quirks, and I, I appreciate how hard it goes with the premise. Mm-hmm. And my only beef with it is that I think it's just plain too long. It really wears out its welcome. Yeah, it's a little long. <laughs> oh, boy. But we, um, we start, actually, we open with uh, Perry Cuomo. Uh, tell I live in New York. Perry Cuomo. With, with Perry Cuomo's Accentuate the Positive, mm-hmm. which is not on the soundtrack, which is surprising because it's the whole uh, opening montage there, which I guess we've got the, uh, the Just a Girl kind of... Uh, vibe that we had on Rami Michelle's high school reunion where Mm -hmm. it's there it's a big piece but it doesn't actually appear on the soundtrack right which is a shame because like this is a I have never I had never heard this version of it before but I really liked this version of that song Uh, there's a lot of Perry Como on the soundtrack or in the film rather but Mm -hmm. not on the soundtrack yeah there's there's like with one there's a good Perry Como gag in the film too so yeah yeah um but we open it at a dinner party in 1962, and uh, there's already some sort of fears about uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Bay of Pigs invasion. Right, like that. they're they're watching at the at the party, like they're watching TV as Kennedy comes on and basically announces the Cuban Missile Crisis, and so um, uh, Christopher Walken. Uh, says parties you know shows over folks parties over go home and he and his wife immediately go down to the bunker yes they take they take the the when everyone's leaving they're taking their martini glasses with them yes just like a fun little detail and she takes the roast that she had made and didn't get to serve down into their bunker um and meanwhile there's a fighter jet that is going into an emergency the pilot uh evacuates and the plane crashes into the house sealing the family inside of the bunker and thus we have our premise and the bunker is locked for exactly 35 years so in that time you know christopher walken and sissy spacek have a son who they name adam and they basically homeschool this kid into a a, basically a life of of being stuck in the 60s mm-hmm they know all the nothing while, else. All the while, the the land we keep cutting back to the land above the house. Like the house has been bulldozed and turned into a malt shop, and we see it's artificial even in the sixties. Like it, it looks like a Johnny Rockets. Like even 
in the era that it exists. Like none of them really looked like that, I'm sure. Um, yeah. But it goes from that to like a hippie bar to what I believe is a skinhead bar. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it goes from being called mom's malt shop to a, a, I don't even know what you would call it, but it's a place called purgatory. <laughs> yeah. It, I'm pretty sure I saw the word skinhead like written above the bathroom or something. Like it's not great. Would not surprise me. <laughs> But all the time, uh, we hear the first song on our soundtrack, which is Perry Como's It's a Good Day. Yeah, let's go to a clip. Oh, it's a good day to sing in the song, and it's a good day for moving along. Yes, it's a good day. How could anything go wrong? A good day from morning till night. Yes, it's a good day to shine in your shoes, and it's a good day for losing the blues. Everything to gain. It's delightful and extremely white bread, which mm-hmm. is part of its charm. Right. Like, this is the kind of thing that our grandmothers would have listened to, which is kind of why I like it. Yeah. It, it immediately reminded me of the Tony Bennett song from uh, Swingers. Yes. We're you know? still in that era where we're mixing the classic with the contemporary. Because having this not only grounds the film in that mid-century suburban charm, as artificial as we know that to be, but also sets it up in contrast against the cynical ugliness of the late 90s, which we will hear Mm -hmm. in a lot of the, the contemporary music that sets up Los Angeles as they emerge from the bunker. Right, yeah. Now I don't know a lot about Perry Como. I know a couple of the of his songs, but um yeah, this one I, I've got no problems with. I think it's perfectly like bright and peppy and yeah. It's a That's good time. It's just kind of kind of it. I mean, consummate entertainer. Um we could do a whole show on Perry Como. We're not gonna go too deep into him. But no. this is again, this is the kind of thing that your grandmother would have put on at a cocktail party. It's inoffensive, it's charming. He is by his own admission like a Bing Crosby impersonator. Mm-hmm. Oh, That's okay. Something that, that he, like he styled his vocals on Bing Crosby. So I guess uh, Michael Buble kind of, you know, picked up the hat and ran with it. Uh, yeah, no, I can see that. Yeah. Buble. Buble is the, is the modern Perry Como for, for better oh. and for worse. I'm honestly surprised that Michael Buble isn't on this, but we don't want to summon him. <laughs> Let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> oh man. No, see now I'm thinking about that. It's like, you know, we're going to find out like 3 episodes from now that he was actually like an extra in some scene in this movie and we're going to feel really stupid. <laughs> so let's just move on. Don't threaten me. But, um but, but yeah, well, we see a yeah. couple things including that um you know, mom's developing a bit of a drinking problem from the isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, dad seems just happy to be there. He enjoys yeah, was, life in the bunker. This is all going according to plan for him, so he is perfectly content. Like he's he's rigged up his a, a fake TV to show like eight millimeter episodes of the honeymooners. This <laughs> could not go better. This could not be more perfect for him. And he's already kind of like a weird kind of cuckoo nutty guy. And like the first scene, he's played by were, Christopher are, Walken. He is Christopher Walken, but like in the first scene, like people were like behind his back going, this guy's kind of a nut job. So you get the idea that like, this is exactly what he was meant for. 
Yes, for living in a bunker, which is weird because it's kind of played off as quirky and charming. But watching this in 2023, of course, you're like, this dude would be in a QAnon, wouldn't he? Probably, yeah. He'd have a bug out bag. Like, like, and that's my cynical nature. Like, I'm bringing my own post-9-11 cynicism to this film. Um, but this film also, I mean, kind of super whitewashes a lot of the sixties anyway. Um, but we learn right. that Calvin has a baseball card collection and mm-hmm. stock certificates. These will yeah, that's be important later. His insurance policy against the future. Yes. Because as we all know, money after the apocalypse, money, money will be irrelevant. But baseball cards won't. <laughs> he had them. And right. and at one point he's trying to explain baseball to Adam. And he's just like, why why would he run to the base? Like, well, because he would. But why? Like, he just doesn't get it because he's such a little nerd. Right. And he's like, well, we first you get the pitcher. And the kid's like, oh, like a pitcher of water? Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's it's a good setup for a really, really good joke later, much later in yeah. the film. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so they they give birth to Adam, and Adam uh, grows up being this isolated child living in a bunker, and he's he is like the spitting image of his dad, like down right down to like they ha- there's a scene where they have like a whole conversation in German, and uh, Christopher Walken could not be more delighted by the fact. It's kind of adorable. <laughs> but more importantly, he grows up to be Brendan Fraser. That's right. Yeah. And it just so happens that on his 35th birthday, the bunker opens up and uh, dad, I think, fakes a heart attack so that Adam will leave the bunker to go get supplies. I think uh, he fakes it. I think he actually does. I don't know. He seemed to recover really quick from it, though. (laughs) Well, he goes upstairs and he sees. Well, first he goes up and in what used to be his home is now this absolute shithole. Um, like a drug den, basically. Yes. Um, where uh, Joey Slotnick of Twister fame. That's right. Yeah. Yes. He was in Twister. He is living. Um, he had been the soda jerk at Maz and the bartender in the skinhead bar and is now just like a homeless wreck. And he now worships Calvin as a god. Mm-hmm. Um, but Calvin, of course, has to confront the reality of the, you know, now really shitty neighborhood that they live in. Um, he meets a sex worker which confuses him immensely there's an adult bookstore that terrifies him um and he thinks that this is the a post-apocalyptic hellhole he comes back down and he just starts going people are puking in the streets <laughs> like that's he can the- change their sex because he meets a transgender <laughs> yep. prostitute yeah um and it's like you you know what they can that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, yeah, the, <laughs> and the, that's great. That's because the sex worker says like, like I could be a man if you want, or I could be a lady. I could be a want. boy, or I could be a lady, and he's like, yep. they, they could change their sex back and forth. Like, you're right. Yep. And it's glorious. Mm-hmm. So, um, but he also tells him to stay out of the adult bookstore because there's poison gas in there. Right. 
So yeah, so they send Adam up to get supplies because I I think he's either dad either goes into shock or something, but Adam has to go and get supplies because it's been 35 years and they need stuff. Yeah. So mom sends him up with uh the baseball card collection and the uh and a little bit of money and he like it's the culture shock of like all of a sudden he's out in the world experiencing everything and it's kind of an overload to him. Like yes. the, the first thing he does is that he just starts looking up at the sky. It's like, oh my God, it's the sky. And people come around like, and look at what he's looking at. And all of a sudden people are just staring at the sky. Like they've never seen it before. So like, well, right, it's, they, right? Have, they have to pay, they haven't paid attention. It's his new outlook on life. Um, yes. Yeah, so like right away, he's, a, he's having a positive effect on the people around him. Sort of kind. I mean, he's getting people to look up for one. And this is not, not a, this is not even just weird yeah yeah like because dad dad has told him that like oh yeah everybody just waves around guns so the guy on the bus that he's sitting next to he's like you don't have a gun do you (laughs) just super weird and you know just a newborn babe in the world but we have our uh, next song Mm -hmm. on our soundtrack which is dishwalla's pretty baby oh boy let's go to a clip I'm sure this song played a lot different in 99 than it does today. Yes. It's still really heavy handed. It's just about like, why are we exposing children to sex? Like, because uh, we're dirtbags. Like, I mean, I'm not personally doing it. I don't think children should be exploited, but I don't need a pop song about it. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, I get that it's hard. It's in the right place. And I appreciate that. But at a certain point, it is it is very like, won't someone think of the children? And I get a weird yeah. vibe off it. And especially as we're recording this, um, as that you're not exposing children to sex and not sexualizing the children is being used for really harmful anti-LGBTQ plus rhetoric and, you know, banning people from gender expression, like under this guise of yeah protecting the children. So it, it definitely plays a lot darker uh, then I'm sure Dishwala meant it. I think, as you said, I think their hearts were in the right place. Um, but there's also this uh, implication that, you know, like Adam is the implied baby, I think, in this scenario. Yeah, yeah. And like, on one hand, yes, everything was sex in the 90s. Um, mm-hmm. But as we see with Eve later on, she's internalized a lot of really harmful messages about sex and especially like a woman's place in sex. Um, and that bleeds into her interactions with other women. I don't think she actually like has a a conversation with another woman. No, until she talks to the mom. I think you're right. I didn't, I didn't even, that didn't occur to me, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. Like there's some really kind of harmful messages about, just sex in general. Like, no, we should not be sexualizing children. Um, no one says that we are or we should. Um, but but Dishwala lays it on pretty thick here. But also just the fact that, like, you know, 
Eve is played by Alicia Silverstone, who is like one of the most like sexualized girls of the nineties. Like yeah. from, from the Aerosmith videos to clueless all the way on up, like yeah. who would know more about that than her? So, yeah. And we haven't even intro- been introduced to her yet. Not yet. In no. the film. Um, but musically, I don't know. I have a weird kind of soft spot for Dishwalla. I really like counting blue cars, even though that song's really heavy handed. Like these guys were so deep and they just wanted you to know all about it. They definitely hung out in coffee shops. Um, I can't tell you why. Like the dishwalla sound kind of resonates with me because I think it's that it bridges that gap between like a little bit of pop psychedelia with grunge because they have like these dreamy melodies, which they have in this, but it's grounded with those guitars. So maybe, yeah. maybe that's it. Odd. They do have like it's it's that quintessential like '90s kind of post grunge alt rock sound. Like mm-hmm. yeah, counting blue cars, you still hear that song all the time, and it's just immediate like, oh, that's what 1995 sounded like. Yeah, exactly. And this was on that same album. This is off Pet Your Friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, of course, counting blue cars appeared in Empire Records, but wasn't on the soundtrack. That's true. Um, yeah. They also in 1998, their song Truth Serum was in the Avengers. In 1999, Stay Awake was in Stir of Echoes, and Find Your Way Back Home was in American Pie. So 1999 was a big year for Dishwalla. Yeah, four (laughs) years after their big hit. So Dishwalla was in 1998's The Avengers, but were they in 2012's The Avengers? No. That's a shame. I don't know (laughs) which of the, if it would be sadder if they were, or sadder that they weren't. It looks like a paid, I guess. Yeah, that's it's six of one half dozen of the other, I guess. Like, <laughs> whatever. Um, but we whatever also dishwalla. Very... <laughs> oh, dishwalla! <laughs> this is not my favorite song in the soundtrack. I'm gonna guess that it's not yours either. No, uh, this this was a contender until I paid attention to the lyrics closer, and I thought, you know what? No. no. <laughs> um. But um, we very soon meet Elisa Silverstone, who we last saw in Clueless, um, as Eve. Of course, her uh, name is Eve. Yeah. It's just like, okay, I get it. And you um, know, something that, that Nikki pointed out to me to just tonight, 1999, this movie comes out, and Brendan Fraser falls in love with a girl named Eve. Later that same year, he's in The Mummy, where his character falls in love with a girl named Evie. Ah, and in 2000, he goes up against the devil in Bedazzled. That's right. It's a very, oh. very biblical couple of years for him. <laughs> Is Brendan Fraser God? Possible? Tell me all your thoughts on Brendan Fraser, because I'd really <laughs> like to hear them. <laughs> oh, you will. <laughs> I, lo- I love Brendan Fraser. I really do. And he's so cute in this. And actually, I'm... Um, uh, as I've been looking at my husband this last week, like he got his hair cut mm-hmm. and he kind of looks a little bit like Brendan Fraser in this movie, which I'm all about because I have <laughs> had a crush on ben- Brendan Fraser as all girls did in the nineties since the mummy. He, you just did. You were in love with him. He's one of those actors. He's one of those guys who like, I, I get why all, like all the girls loved him, but also he, you could, all the guys just wanted to be buds with him, you know, yeah, like he's, he's just, just the, a- got that friendly kind of vibe to him. He's got, he just has good dude vibes and like is genuinely a good dude. Um, I think I wrote him a fan letter at one point. <laughs> so I just I I was in love with him. I still mm-hmm. I still am. 
I think he's he's very sweet and wonderful, and apparently lives somewhere in upstate New York. So I don't know. Huh. Maybe I, he I and Walton believe, Goggins hang out. I don't know. I could believe he's got, a, he's got like a ranch somewhere up there. Yeah, um, I do not know where, but I'm gonna find out. No, we would not. Gonna... We would not reveal it on this podcast if we did. I would not be on this podcast. I'd be out hanging with Brendan Fraser. I'd be like, hey, Joe, sorry, I can't. I'm hanging out by the fire with Brendan Fraser. Do the show by myself then. Jeez. Yeah. We're just kicking it. And you wouldn't hold that against me because obviously. No, because I would absolutely 100% get it. Like, you'd want that for me. Go for it. Yeah. So, um, but of course, um, the sports memorabilia store that he's trying to sell his baseball cards at is trying to take advantage of him and for some reason uh eve knows everything about baseball cards and how much they're worth because sure why not well listen we've we're already in a movie where the premise is a guy comes out of a bunker 30 years later so like you know what let's just roll with this let's roll with it (laughs) um and eve stops the guy from ripping him off puts on some lip gloss and leaves and I and feel like watch like I've spent I spent all of Clueless watching her put on lip gloss. So I was like, this feels like home. <laughs> this just feels right, doesn't it? <laughs> Something that I recognize. Uh, so Adam bribes Eve with a, ba- a four thousand dollar baseball card to just drive him home wherever home is because he does not know. Yeah. <laughs> because at one point, I love this. He just kind of he. He's at the grocery store. He's talking to like the butcher and he just like all, all of a sudden announces, it just occurred to me. I don't know where I live. Yeah. <laughs> that's, you, that's a thing that you got to deal with sometimes. And he's trying to buy like thousands of pounds of meat. Yeah. Like hamburger meat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, he bribes Evie with a baseball card to uh, drive him home wherever home is. And she drives like a maniac. And so, of course the next song on the soundtrack that plays is it's REM's it's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. Let's go to a call. If you really want to hear our thoughts on this one, which I assume haven't changed, um, you could check out our episode on Tommy Boy. That's right. Yeah. This is the second time this song has appeared on the podcast. So it's a classic. It is. Um, It's not my favorite R.E.M. song, but who doesn't like uh, singing this one? It's a little on the nose here. I think it's better used in Tommy Boy um, Mm -hmm. just for its fun vibes. But it... um, it it's a good gag. It is. It's yeah. a, again a soundtrack gag, which I always kind of appreciate. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a it's a kind of an A list get too for the soundtrack because like a lot of the a lot of the songs and the, and the artists on this are kind of kind of lesser known. So it's good to have you know, an REM on here to kind of, to try and sell the album, which of course didn't work. But we're not holding it against it. Already on the Tommy Boys. Oh yeah, it's like oh we we've we've heard this song a million times. What else do you got? I will say, though, I do appreciate the music video for this song. It's just a kid, uh, you know, dicking around in a bunch of trash in an abandoned house. Yeah. But I do appreciate the bit where uh, 
<laughs> the dog lip syncs to the line Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> That's adorable. Right? <laughs> right. Now, she like yeah, she's driving like a maniac cuz she's a virgin who can't drive. But also she's probably just trying to get in the hell out of her car. <laughs> yeah, cuz he's really weird. And she's like, she's a cynical woman. She's tired of dating. It's 1999 and she looks like Alicia Silverstone. Mm-hmm. So it's like, guys don't understand her. She's tough. It's LA in the late 90s. She probably spent a lot of time with John Favreau and Vince Vaughn. Can you blame her? This movie definitely implies something like, like single women, like women who are feminists. They just want like a guy who will take care of them, which I don't think it intended to, uh, to, put that message out there but it definitely like ends up bringing that vibe a little bit luckily uh dave foley will explain that away yeah dave foley kind of puts it into really like like harsh terms and it's the moment where i think he finally when when adam finally gets it Mm -hmm. Uh, and like oh dave foley had to tell you that (laughs) we haven't even gotten to dave foley oh no 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 he's um he's a lot in this um so so Eve drops him off at the nearest Holiday Inn, which is what his mom told him to do, is to go find a Holiday Inn. And um, he gives her the baseball card. And the next day, she comes back because her conscience gets the better of her, and she can't in good conscience take the baseball card from him. And that's when he gets her on the hook for helping him try to you know, buy all these supplies for his parents. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, they're, they're buying supplies. They're buying you know, bulk goods probably from some kind of like Costco or something. And they're putting them all in a storage locker. And he's wearing a cute jumpsuit and he looks great. And I like a Dickies jumpsuit. I love it. He's really getting into it. Yeah. I love it so much. <laughs> what I don't love is the song that plays. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, this is Everclear. We talked about them a minute ago. This is, I will buy you a new life. Yeah, I guess I'm doing okay. I'm moving with the strangest guy. Can you believe he has- We're starting a new game on this podcast, which is where we'll try to guess the favorite song on the soundtrack of the uh, other of our co-host. Mm-hmm. Joe, I'm going to guess that this is yours. <laughs> no, uh, I'm sorry, oh. but no. Oh, <laughs> oh, well, do that's I actually hate this that's song. actually a relief. I'm kind of glad I'm I'm wrong. Oh, do I hate this song? <laughs> <laughs> do I hate this song too? But I also know you tend to like a little more like hard rock than I do. So true. I was, Okay. And your okay. your instincts were not wrong. <laughs> but th- luckily I was. So um But uh yeah, with with this one like so this is this was the first Everclear song I ever heard. I distinctly recall like being in the car with my dad when I first heard this. I don't know why I have this memory, but even as like a 10 or 11 year old thinking, this is really stupid. Do you know another Everclear song? Like can you name for me without looking up another Everclear song? I mean, Santa Monica's pretty good. I don't know that one. I know you know that one. Maybe not by name. Used to acknowledge if I know that one, and I'm not going to look it up because there is no way that it can be good. Everclear is just the Foo Fighters, but with clinical depression. Oh, that's a whole can of worms I don't even want to touch. Because, <laughs> like, the, the, the lead singer, Art Alexakis, is, like, famously not a good dude. <laughs> 
<laughs> so oh, like, no. You're telling me the dude from Everclear is not a good dude? My God, I'm so shocked. <laughs> the guy who like wrote Father of Mine and got like a Humanitas Award or whatever for writing a song about deadbeat dads. No, guess what? He's not a good dude. <laughs> Um, this song sucks. This song has always sucked. This isn't one of those songs that I like liked in the nineties and then realized it sucks. No, this song has always sucked. Everclear is a terrible band. Mm-hmm. They're the worst. Yuck. I, I just, it's, this is everything that's terrible about nineties rock. Like it's, it's fraudulently sincere and it's just, it, this song is the worst dude you've ever met who feels the need to like swoop in and solve all your problems without listening to you yeah like i was listening to this song and hearing him like describe this girl and then their life together and their problems and i'm just thinking like whatever happened to poetry like could you use a metaphor or something to tell me how you feel and not just say how you feel don't don't show don't tell everclear okay which would you rather hear you're in some place like the grocery store where you can't leave and you have your choice as you're going down the cereal aisle between I will buy you a new life and Let Her Cry by Hootie and the Blowfish. Which would you rather hear? Gut reaction? I'm going to say Let Her Cry by Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> oh, they're both bad songs. <laughs> they are. <laughs> Literally yesterday, we, my dad and I were having lunch some at, a, at a, a sandwich shop, and Let Her Cry came on, and my dad turned to me and went, hey, it's my favorite Hootie song. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so if, if absolutely nothing else, I'll take Hootie because, like, yeah, I remember my dad loves these guys. <laughs> cry over only want to be with you i know, I know. that was such only a strange be thing was best songs in the 90s it is a perfect pop song that was such a strange thing for him to say and i just thought huh okay <laughs> how does mom you feel know about someone. that <laughs> bikes good lord bikes on bikes i know right <laughs> i'm gonna be honest i didn't even listen to this song on the soundtrack i was just like no i hate this song I could hear it. Like, I could hear it grinding away in my head, and I was not going to subject myself to listening to the whole thing. I was just like, no, I am not going to like it anymore. It's a garbage song. I've been hearing it since 1990-whatever when it came out. Right. I still hate it. It's the kind of thing that my ex-boyfriend would think is really deep. Um, it, this is the worst. This is such a garbage song. It is shallower than a drinking fountain. What are you talking about, my dude? I hate it. It's the worst. And I can't believe now, like, I have to associate the memory of Brendan Fraser in a cute jumpsuit with this song. Really? No. You're going to do that to me? No. Let's let's move on. Everything he's been through. Let's move on, because the longer we talk about Everclear, the more I hate it. It grows. It grows in power. It's a fun. Everclear is a fungus, which is ironic, because Everclear kills pretty much everything you put on it. (laughs) Yes. we get to um we get to meet eve's ex-boyfriend oh yeah the, the house the firefly guy good great i'm glad to see uh, him again they're <laughs> <laughs> just like yep 90s douchebag boyfriend like yep that guy mm-hmm. you just you know he's got the face yep he's got the 90s douchebag face that's right and he's over there he cheated on her with a model Cliff. and it's like really that was hotter than 1999 Alicia Silverstone 
was she from space? Like, how were you, how was anybody hotter than 1999 Alicia Silverstone? And you just, you just know that, like, if you asked him, like, why, he would just say, like, oh, well, she's not as mean. She's not as angry. Yeah. <laughs> Eve is very, Eve is very angry. She's like a mean bee. Right. She's, then, like, super angry all the time. But then at the same time, you go, like, why do you think she's so angry, my dude? Yeah, because she had to date you, and you're a 90s douchebag, and... And I, I do like to think that this overlaps with Swingers somehow. Like, I like the Swingers blast from the past mask shared L.A. universe. <laughs> they all do take place in the same universe somehow. Like, Swingers and Blast from the Past are happening at the same time. Let them fight. <laughs> yes. Yes. But um, we get our next song, which is Sonochrome's Honey, Please. Mm, yes. Let's go to a clip. Tell me about Sonic Chrome. Nothing about them except that I actually really like this song. This is a pretty good little song, yeah. Um, it's got that again that uh, hard college rock kind of acid trip vibe that we heard on a lot of uh, you know songs on the radio. Uh, not as much in 1999. We're starting to come out of that, but it's still present. Um, it has. I'd say more genuine heart than uh, a song like I See the Sun, which we're going to hear later. Mm -hmm. And it's in the same vein as bands like the Goo Goo Dolls at a time when hard rock was fading or kind of becoming Nickelback, like leaning into more metal or God forbid rap rock. Um, But one of the things that I kind of noticed about this song, which scared me because I didn't hate it, was that it's like one horn riff away from being ska like it's got that bounce yeah just needs, I, I was it, thinking that it just it's like you want to put a horn section you're like oh shit then that, it becomes ska shit. it's like it's like boost light yeah <laughs> the 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 note that i took was like in a world where smash mouth hadn't blown up when they did i could have seen this this song and this band being something you know yeah i kind of got i Kind of got cake vibes from it, almost. Yeah, kind of like if, if little cake Italian had little, leather sofa in there. If if cake had a little bit more energy, yeah, definitely. Because it it had the sort of whimsy that mm-hmm. I think makes cake so charming at times. They're not always whimsical. Then they would be. They might be giants, and nobody wants that. But um, they certainly have some whimsy occasionally. Right, a, a little whimsy goes a long way. Exactly. Yeah. So, but um, this one I think is uh is quite charming. Um, but we also in in this section get our next song on the soundtrack, which is Jamie Block's Rhinoceros. Let's go to a clip there. Yes. This one has all the elements that should land for me, but it doesn't. It just sounds like it's tailor-made to be 
B-side movie background music. It's, you know. I, I agree. Absolutely. Soft dude singer songwriter. Like, yeah, this, wow. this, this, you're right. This song was like made to be put under like a montage in a movie. Like, wow. there's no real identity to it uh, until Jimmy Block starts just chanting rhinoceros over and over again. Yeah, which you're like, hmm. Like, okay, okay. all right. Um, like, there is Gio- a good vibe on the bridge that I like. It's um, sort of a bubbly, almost like a Matchbox 20 kind of feel. Mm-hmm. That last gasp of um, not quite, like, that blend between indie and college rock. Yeah, you, um, you get College the, rock the... from for college girls who are becoming moms, I guess is probably the best way to put it. Jeez. Oh, yeah. yeah. But like where you get that, like the, the kind of the phased out guitar sound mm-hmm. and everything, it gets very fuzzy for a little bit. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I and that. it's kind of sing talking. I think that's what throws me because I realize the more I listen to it, that he sounds like the dude from train. So that's going to cost him. Yeah. Aww. I was, I was kind of comparing him to the dude from Dishwalla even. Yeah, that dude's a little gruffer, but I'm, um, or even, you know, the sing talking like Mark McGrath. Like, I'll take this over fly any day. True. That's, that's oh. fair. Um, just kind of a last fun fact about Jamie Block. His cover of Perry Como's Catch a Falling Star was used in the opening credits of Never Been Kissed, also in 1999. Oh, so we're having okay. a little bit of a Perry Como, like, Resurgence. Yeah, Perry Cobo's having a moment here in the, in ninety nine. Yes, and which is weird because it's a, again at the tail end of that mid century uh, revival. Like right, the, this like is just, we're really at the end of that, the very very end. Just a uh, year, maybe a, two years later, like this goes way out of fashion really fast. Yes, as I we're going to talk about um, when we hit uh, a song later on, because things are about right. to go really south for a band on this soundtrack yeah and we're, i think we're gonna get uh four or five songs in, in rapid succession here soon yes but um we also meet her gay roommate played by dave foley who later starred in monkey bone with mm-hmm. our sweet brendan um, and yes and they had also previously worked together on kids in the hall <laughs> and um is this the most sensitive portrayal of a gay man no it's not the worst but um, it's definitely like, of course she has a gay friend. It's 1999. Gay men are accessories. They're not real human beings. Which is yeah, unfortunate, yeah. but it could be worse. Could be a lot worse. Like, I'm, I'm not the one to comment on whether or not this is, like, appropriate or not. But, I mean, it's, it's okay by me, I guess. It's not. It's fine. Yeah. It's, but it is, again, a straight man. This is playing this is uh, playing the gay best friend, like playing the stereotypical gay best friend. Um, although Troy is is a pretty great character, so I'm going to give all my love to Troy. Um, right. We actually get one more song in this as he's kind of quizzing um, Adam because he just keeps saying he's from out of town, he's from Alaska. Um, so he's kind of quizzing him, um, and we get uh, our next song. Eve is trying to read Adam's palm. And we hear Celeste Prince's A Little Belief. Let's go to a clip. Okay.
she's one of only two women on the soundtrack. That is very unfortunate. Yeah. Um, I love the sweetness of this melody, although she does sound very much like every other warbly girl singer at the time. Yeah. This is not, she's not going to play at Lilith Fair. She actually sounds a little bit more like an Amy Grant contemporary. Uh, your mom would probably really like this song. Yeah, this is very like uh, light FM kind of mom rock. Extremely 90s mom core. Yes. Um, it's, yeah, just adult contemporary filler. Um, she also had a song on the soundtrack to Sweet November in 2001. Okay, yeah. I, I know that film, but I don't know anything about it. I know that it has Keanu Reeves in it, and I did not see it. Um, I'm confusing but, it with Autumn in New York. Never mind. okay this one is it's unremarkable but it's not bad it's you know you're not going to skip over it but it's not going to be anybody's favorite song on the soundtrack and it definitely sort of serves uh as eve's theme as you know as we're going to if you haven't guessed she's going to fall in love with adam and these are we're starting to see kind of the first uh flushes of that Right. So, I mean, thematically, it's a it's a it's a nice pick. It's a good pick for this moment in the film. Oh, except you can barely hear it. True. I mean, and to the point where, like, I had this song playing much later in the film. It plays early. Okay. So, um, but Adam and Troy go shopping and he gets rollerblades. They go to the park. Um, really, anything that makes Brendan Fraser happy is good by me. Yeah, I mean, this is we're kind of montaging it right now. Yeah, he 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 deserves to be happy at least a little bit. So they take him to Venice Beach and let him rollerblade around a bit, and we get the the next. This is where we get "I See the Sun" uh, by um, uh, Tommy Hendrickson. Let's go to a clip. This is like if an AI generator wrote a 90s song. <laughs> it really is. This is like the most soulless, bland song I've ever heard. Um, you know, like we, we rag on Dishwalla and Everclear, but I don't know. I feel like at least they were trying to say something, even if it didn't quite come out. This has like those big, rough arena vocals, and it's grounded by that suburban dad heavy metal rock guitar that's about to mm-hmm. become really popular. Um, yeah, and like in the music video, it's it's hilarious because the guy is like strumming an acoustic twelve string, like, and you I don't hear that in this song at all. So I don't know yeah, what he's fucking doing. Tribal tattoo. Yeah, really. But also, I got I cannot get over this guy's voice. Oh my god, it's this ridiculous. Guy, this guy sounds like he got kicked out of a metal band, and he's just trying to pay the bills. He's just trying to like a, pick up a chick, like with a pop song, and he can't get over his metal voice because it's because this husky deep, this husky deep voice keeps coming through with this very like kind of lovely like love ballad. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's ridiculous. It's like. <laughs> It feels like it should be a joke on American Idol somehow. It, yeah. Like, this it, isn't real. This isn't a real song. So. <laughs> um, yeah, like, if, but, if this had been written written and, and performed as a joke in a movie, it would be a great joke. This is right. real. 
Yeah, this is a real song. And um, I don't mean to I don't mean to make fun of the guy, but like it's just it's none just, of the pieces fit. None of the pieces fit. Thank you. They're all they're all there, and I think they're all well constructed, but like and then you put them together and you're just like it's like one of those milkshakes that you get that costs like $25 and has a piece of fried chicken on it. Like I get that this is all there, but the experience doesn't come together. No, no. This is just a milkshake with a piece of fried chicken on it. Like I get that you want to be Duncan chic, but it's not going to happen, buddy. No. (laughs) Um, He does play out a lot with Alice Cooper. Okay. Like he, he got to be like, he, he has some, genuine metal cred and that's where he needs to be oh so my my instinct was not far off (laughs) um he was in the band pol okay Uh, i founded that in 1994 um this he tried to go a little more like with some pop sensibilities and it just it didn't work out for him but um, oh man i nailed it i can't believe yeah he plays out with alice cooper um (laughs) and he's produced just about everybody Um, okay he's actually like he's got real production chops this is just not really where he should be oh he's in the hollywood vampires that makes sense okay yeah yeah all right um, he also uh pol had a song called 16 and confused which was an alternate track to the daria movie is it fall yet okay yes um this is i look he loved this sound um I, you know i fell really hard for lifehouse in 1999 because you know I was in high school and I was, you know, impressionable, but I hated one, Lifehouse because that guy's name is Jason Wade. And I was just jealous. I think <laughs> don't be <laughs> um, this one is just it's it's too much. Like I said, the elements don't fit together. Yeah, it's it's so earnest and it's so goofy. It's laying it on way too thick. So thick. Um, yeah. I also just want to take this moment in the these montages to point out every single one of Alicia Silverstone's outfits. It's like she is every page of the Delia's catalog, scene after scene <laughs> after scene. And I didn't dress like that, but I think at times I wanted to. I think in 1999 I was still doing the goth thing, mm-hmm. but some of those little mini skirts and the sweater sets, I desperately wanted them. Mm. So the slut strands, um, little curls framing her face. I still wear those. Um, not a great name, but that's what we called them. Um, her curly ponytails, just super glossy lips, all of it. That was what we looked like in 1999. That was the 1999 look, yeah. It was the look. like, And it's like... It, it just encapsulates that without being like... Uh, it doesn't... Ma- it becomes a period piece in that way. Because yeah, and like it, if you look at that, you're just like, because he doesn't dress particularly 1999. I guess what he dresses the way what we would call a metrosexual, because he bathes and looks nice. But um, but that look, her whole look, the platform strappy sandals, the little sheer tops, the like flare leg athletic pants, all of it. I could picture every item in the Delia's catalog that matches up with that look. Get her look. Meanwhile, Brendan Fraser is over here wearing a jacket that his mom cut out of the fabric from a couch. <laughs> and he gets a nice leather jacket right. and looks yeah, sharp yeah. as hell. Yeah. And it's just the outfits that he later wears in Bedazzled and mm-hmm. 
just looks really good in. Well, he just kept them and said, you know what? I like this style. Yeah, I look good in this. I look good I'm in a this. good looking man. And like, I know we're make, still making fun of this song, and I feel bad too, because in this scene, the song is still playing while as Adam discovers the ocean. And it's so pure. And again, nothing I think makes me happier than seeing Brendan Fraser happy. I, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Like oh. if, if if that moment alone is not like part of his Oscar reel, then we have failed as a country. <laughs> it's wonderful. Give him ev- Let's give him everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, I hope they put Dolphin Song on there. Yeah, sure. He does everything. He's funny. He's a like serious actor. He's handsome as fuck. Like he he's everything. He's an action star. We just we never truly deserved him. No, we didn't appreciate him while we had him and then we let him we let him escape us. Oh, just God, please protect Brandon Fraser. Mm-hmm. He's a good guy. Yeah. We love him so much. So um but now okay. now we are heading into Yes. Club 40s. Club 40s, because part of uh, part of Adam's deal with Eve, he's paying her to get all these supplies for him, but also he's paying her to help him find a wife to take with him back to the bunker. So they go to Club 40s. Which is creepy. Like, it's super it's... creepy, even when he says it to her face. <laughs> and I... I think we're not supposed to think it's creepy because she thinks it's creepy because she's a cynical 90s lady. But we know, like, no, he means well, but it's still creepy. Right. I don't think I would like to go back. To, I I love him. I still don't want to go back to his bunker. I, you don't want to go to there. I do not want to go to there. Um, so we're going to roll up to Club 40s because it is 1999. This movie is called Blast from the Past. And if there wasn't going to be a swing dancing scene, then this film has not fulfilled its contractual obligation to the audience um, this this movie is is drenched in 60s retro kitsch culture so sure club 40s go for it as with the weird humphrey bogart uh casablanca knockoff that's hilarious PJ, come on so weird and <laughs> out of place um but here as they're rolling up we hear the squirrel nut zipper is hell playing okay um it is not on the soundtrack Okay, yeah, I was gonna say I missed that one. No, it's um, uh, it's an instantly recognizable riff. Um, it is also on the soundtrack to Monkey Bone. Uh-huh. It is on the soundtrack to like everything. This song is featured a lot. Um, and it was there. Um, that one reached number one on the um Heat Seeker chart. It was one of only two songs of the swing era to reach that. The other being Zoot Suit Riot. Uh huh. Okay. Um, we meet uh, Sophie, who Ian, who was passing through, was like, is that Julia Campbell? And I said, no, it is not. Because <laughs> um, I feel like it should be because she looks a lot like her. It might as well um, have been, yeah. Yeah, it kind of should have been. Um, but she speaks French and is super flirty, which, of course, this upsets Eve because all women in the 90s, and you need to understand this from someone who was there, we were trained that all other women were the enemy. <laughs> and especially if they were flirty because then they were just sluts and we had very regressive ideas about sex and chastity and our own self-worth and i know that i felt like this i definitely looked at other girls who were super flirty i was like oh what a slut mm-hmm. uh, even though i had those same desires just didn't 
act on them because I was fucking shy. So, um, which, like, I, watching her in this movie and the way she behaves, I felt it in a very ugly place inside of me. I was like, yep, that's 90s girl behavior. There it is. They put it on the screen. Yeah. It's all right and, there. And, like, I was watching this with Nikki, and every every scene that featured Eve doing anything, it didn't Eve matter shit. what she was doing. Yeah, just every scene ended with Nikki just going, oh my God, Eve is the worst. She's the worst. She's the worst. But like, this was how 90s girls behaved. Right. Like it, like it, if you had made this movie today, that would be like a period piece thing that you would have to try and like recreate. But no, this was, don't think you could recreate it because it was just something like internalized. It wasn't something where we're like, okay, now we'll behave like this. Like it was just, we somehow internalized it against all of these messages that were telling us about sex and to be sexy, but in like swallowing down desire. Yeah. And, and it, it was, it was a very weird time. I don't even think I'm adequately verbalizing what it felt like to be a girl in the late nineties, especially a teenage girl. And I think Eve's supposed to be, I guess in her late 20s, Adam is 35, which is creepy. Adam is five years younger than me in this film. I'm and, and they make a point to say, like, wow, he looks really good for 35, but that's because he's literally been underground for 35 years. Yeah. The only thing I think that would be equivalent is if you, like, lived in, like, Seattle because they don't have the sun out there. So you just stay preserved. Yeah, they haven't gotten the sun out there yet. No. But um, we also hear... Uh, our next song on the album playing in the background. And this is the Cherry Pop and Daddies, So Long Toots. Let's go. So long toots, bound for Chicago, it's been swell. You've got your hooks into me, mama, you know damn well. You know I gotta leave before you're up a tree. And our good thing comes crashing to the ground. Now, Libby, this is your favorite song, isn't it? It's absolutely my favorite song. I love this song so much. Yes. Um, for those of you who haven't been following my Twitter, I actually got to see the Cherry Pop and Daddies a few uh, weeks back. They were amazing. They still sound great. Steve Perry is stupid hot. And again, living in Eugene, Oregon, perfectly preserved. He looks, honestly, except for his hair, um, which is buzz short, he looks pretty much like he did in the Zoot Suit Riot video in 1997. Wow. Yeah, he looks amazing. And he still moves like that, too. <laughs> um, sounds like it. And it's, uh, it's really, really, really a great show. They did not play So Long Tuts, which surprised me Aww. because I saw them at a jazz club. And this is their most traditional sounding song. Now, as we talk about um, the swing revival, mm-hmm. so you had the sort of uh, mob gangster pastiche kings of gangster bop royal crown review on the mask you had the kind of fun cocktail hour swing uh, of big bad booty daddy on swingers and now you have the cherry pop and daddies who um, were basically the clash of the horn section their <laughs> music is aggressive it's political um their albums are filled with punks and drug dealers and horrible people and uh, they're great and I love them so much. They're just darkly sarcastic. So 
lyrically, So Long Toots actually sounds closer to something like Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. It's essentially about a relationship that's going nowhere. Yeah, I could hear that. Like having learning a little bit about this now from you and from swingers and everything. I hear that for sure. And I mean, they're all of their other songs um, from earlier albums through 1990s ferociously stoned up through uh, 1998's Zootsu Riot, the swing and hits of the cherry pop and daddies, which was a compilation album. Again, just, I mean, the songs on there, master and slave drunk daddy, Dr. Bones, Zoot Suit Riot. They're mm-hmm. very aggressive. They're very dark. And so this one is somewhat light, which may have been a problem. So at this point, 1999, the daddies were still riding high. In another year, Zoot Suit Riot would be certified double platinum. Okay. And it would also be uh, the release. It would also have the release of their... Um, I guess their fourth album, Soul Caddy, which uh, which had So Long Toots on it. And coming from not just a swing background, but a ska background, a funk background, and a punk background, they saw Soul Caddy as their chance to show what they could really do. So a little bit of swing, a little bit of glam rock, a little bit of ska, um, kind of everything. There's a really beautiful song on there called Grand Mall, which is much more sort of college rock one of my favorite songs of theirs however all the fans that had come to them for so long toots and zutsu riot were disappointed by the lack of swing Uh. and we're just like what the fuck is this and people who were were responding to the backlash against swing because 1999 was kind of the the drop-off pick up the album didn't want didn't want to try out any of their alternative stuff that they probably would have liked everyone that I have sent their alternative stuff to. So stuff like, um, 1996's kids on the street, which is their most grunge album has really liked it. Mm -hmm. The album sold so terribly. Their follow-up single failed to chart and the tour undersold so badly that the band broke up. So So Long Toots was like the, it was the last hurrah. It wasn't released as a single, um, but that was it. That was the end until um, they got back in the studio for 2008's Susquehanna and have been recording steadily ever since. But they were flying high at this moment because um, their song Dr. Bones appeared on the Meet the Deedle soundtrack, which we'll be covering later this year. Um, a deeply unfortunate cover of Shake Shake Sonora was on Basketball. Oh, uh, God, both... I remember that. I yes, it's bad. I would give Steve Perry the heart out of my chest, but good God, is that a bad cover? It's a bad cover. That's a hell of an album, too. That's like, Oof. it's all of the worst elements of ska thrown into one album. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, my God. I can't even. Um. But those were both in 1998. And right. then um, Here Comes the Snake uh, would appear on Three to Tango later this year, which also has a huge uh, swing soundtrack, but no swing dance scene. Huh. As far as I can tell, I didn't watch Three to Tango because it looks uh, to be what the kids would call cringe. But it has a lot in common 
with this soundtrack, including a song we're about to talk about. Yeah, as far as I know, that's it's a Matthew Perry rom-com. So like those four words should tell you everything you need to know. Again, haven't seen it. Don't know. I'm just assuming. But it's weird because, again, swing soundtrack entirely. So that has everybody. That has Royal Crown Review. It's got Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. It's got the Brian Setzer Orchestra. It's mm-hmm. got the Squirrel Nut Zippers. Um, it's got the, uh, the Flying Neutrinos who we're about to hear. No swing dance scene that I can find. If I'm wrong, write to us, ostpartypod at gmail.com. Uh, but I, my research has not indicated that there is a swing dance scene in the film Three to Tango. Huge if true. Yes. And that, that is why we picked this one as our swing, as our, the closer to our swing trilogy. Mm-hmm. Because in order for it to be a swing movie, it has to have a swing dance scene which we're about to get. Yes. Do you want to like weigh in on so long totes at all? Not really. No, I, I honestly, the, all of the swing songs we're about to hear, I hear them. I see them. I'm going to let Libby take it because like, this is so far out of my wheelhouse <laughs> that I really don't ha- don't know what to say about them. Okay. Adam wants to meet one lady to take home back to the bunker. And well, obviously, Eve's not going to dance with him. Why not? Yeah, what is her problem? Because she's grouchy because she's like too cool and cynical. She doesn't want to admit that she has feelings for him. And oh, if she dances, well, that's really going to seal the deal, isn't it? So, also, yeah, when you see Brandon Fraser dance, you're just like, yeah, I'd have feelings for him too. Right. And these two. And I do. So, of course, he meets a couple of other girls at the club and he takes them dancing on the dance floor. Found to dance. Of course. Why not? Course. You're at a. You're at Club 40 as the daddies are playing. Yep. Like, you're in the vibe. And guess what? He knows how to swing dance. So everybody just get, let, gives him the floor, and we hear Mr. Zoot Suit by the Flying Neutrinos. Let's go to a clip. He's, He's jumping to the beat. He's been dancing in the street. He's dressed so fine, got lots of loot. We like to call him Mr. Zoot Suit. He drives a great big car, smokes a big cigar. He looks like a king and he acts like a star. When we see him drive by, Basically, like if the squirrel nut zippers uh, merge with Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, which means I am like 100% for this band. See, that's the point where like I can tell you're splitting hairs, but I honestly don't. I can't tell the difference. Like I I know there must be a difference, but I personally can't see it. (laughs) It's sort of New Orleans inflected vocals. Okay. Okay. Um, And then the the kind of again like party atmosphere um big bad voodoo daddy also had a song called uh mr pinstripe suit mm. so uh so again yeah i am am i splitting hairs yes but that's what i'm here for but that's again, why i picked this soundtrack so that i could so that i could do all this like i've got my powerpoint prepared this is my ted talk right these are the distinctions that you know how to make so i'm gonna let you make them i'm now, this band was started by Papa Neutrino and his wife, Betsy, in the 80s. He liked to build rafts and, like, sail around. He was very kind of an odd dude. Um, but this current lineup featuring his daughter, Ingrid, uh, as the front woman, didn't record their first album until 1997's I'd Rather Be in New Orleans, mm-hmm. making them one of the later bands of the eras. Again, 
Um, the Daddies formed in 1989, Royal Crown Review in 1991, Big Bad Voodoo Daddies sometime in the, I think, 1996, maybe, mm-hmm. um, maybe 95, and um, the Squirrel Nut Zippers in, I think, 1994 or so. So they are, they're late to the scene. Right. Um, but this song also appeared on the Three to Tango soundtrack. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's a good crossover there. I wasn't kidding. Um, it <laughs> it kind of rips it right off. Right. Um, now, I, I will say for this song, uh, the the one that I chose for the playlist, and we'll, we'll put this playlist in the show notes so you can listen to the album. The video for this is kind of delightful because the user that put this together is, it, they created an entire slideshow of Zoot Suits. Yes. It's great. <laughs> So, uh, YouTuber Jose Cordova, if you're listening to this, thank you so much. This is amazing. Thank you for your work. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's like it's truly beautiful. Oh yeah, it's like it's a perfect like time capsule of of you know exactly what the suits look like. Some of them honestly look really silly, but others amazing. So silly, but delightful. Right. So, um, and of course, yeah, this is our obligatory, um obligatory swing scene and they kill it mm-hmm. uh, he's dancing oh, yeah. with both of them it's sexy as hell and of course eve is over there with her big lips pouty and she's so jealous of course troy calls her out on this mm-hmm. he gets it but she has to be pouty right so and she also points out she points out that one woman's a bitch that sophie's a slut she's just not having it with like any other woman mm-hmm. but such was the attitude of a girl in the 90s. I'm sure I said the same thing. Say lovey. Um, to all those girls, I probably called slut behind your back. I'm sorry. From the bottom of my heart. So, uh, we've got one more song while they're in the bar. Um, we've got the Squirrel Nut Zippers, of course, with True Macaque. Let's go to a clip. This is the story of the We've got a little bit of the West Coast with the daddies, um, but we're really focused on the South in this. A lot of good South representation. The squirrel nut zippers hail from North Carolina. Yep, yep. Yep. Like the uh, the flying neutrinos. So we've got some echoes of hell here. This is a very, very similar song. These guys are much more like the daddies as far as their sound goes mm-hmm. or lyric uh, lyrically i guess their um their sound is definitely new orleans um very zydeco influenced they're more tom waits they're kind of the tom waits or the captain beefheart of the swing revival rather than like a frank sinatra or uh louis jordan mm-hmm. so yeah okay for them all so on this one as as you describe that i can definitely hear those influences here like Yes, I absolutely hear kind of a the New Orleans jazz kind of vibe coming through here. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. and the the call and response is big with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all recorded it with one microphone, which gives it that very very vintage feel. Yeah, I, I I was thinking about that when I heard this, but also I may have just not chosen the right 
uh, cut on YouTube because it's it's got a weird kind of stereo mix. And I don't know if that's the actual production or if I just, again, picked a bad uh, track. Oh, it's I think you've I think you've got it. But like it has a very like weird. Get 1920s vibe. Right, and that's yeah. deliberate. And I like that about it. Um, we also see Cliff in this scene. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Cliff Nathan Fillion. And she tries to go to him. And Adam says, isn't he just didn't you say he was just a butt with hair? Which is a delightful description. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nathan Fillion. Um, he tries to start shit and Adam just pokes him and drops him to the floor. Like anytime he tries to start shit. Yeah, ends Adam it like three times in a row. Uh, so the, yeah, the next day, Troy has to break the news to Eve that, oh yes, Adam went home with Sophie that night. Oh no, not Sophie. Not Sophie. But I really like Troy in this scene because I like his definition of lady and gentleman. And go ahead and put the clip in. But it turns out the short and simple definition of a lady or a gentleman is someone who always tries to make sure that the people around him or her are as comfortable as possible. Where do you think he got all that information? Off from the oddest place. His parents. Uh, because I think it, rather than rooting Adam in a sort of Tucker Carlson nostalgia, he gets to the heart of what we all really want from what we think of the 1950s. And it's certainly not true that, you know, people were more polite back then. They probably were superficially, but they were also, you know, trying to keep black people from voting or being in their schools. And God forbid if you are a homosexual. Um, But they get to what we all want from manners, which is to feel special. Mm -hmm. And I like that. I like that they identify that and call that out. Um, because it makes Adam seem less creepy. It makes him seem genuine. And it, we can understand why we're drawn to him because right. he makes us feel important. Yeah, like to get down right down to like the nut of it, it's just clean cut politeness is all he's really about. Genuine politeness. Yes, yes. And caring about other people's feelings. And I think that is forgotten. Mm-hmm. I think we live in a very me-centric culture, and I think in some ways that's great because you don't want to suffer fools, but make sure when you are, quote-unquote, you know, not suffering fools, that you're also not alienating the people who actually matter by, mm-hmm. by not letting things go or by, or by not making people feel comfortable because only your comfort matters. Right, yeah. It's a fine line, but I think it's one we could stand to examine a little bit more in our daily interactions. Yeah, and the the phrase that I keep coming back to, I don't know where this came from, but it's something that I've always kind of believed is, it's chaos, so be kind. Exactly, and that's... is such a dire place right now, and like the least anybody can do is just to be kind to, to, to the next person. And that's what Adam does as he goes through all his interactions. At no point is he ever cynical or cruel. He just greets everybody as though they are already his friend. Right. And that's beautiful. And it, it occurs to me at this point that, like, at no point in the film do we see Adam actually, like, have a reckoning as to, like, oh, the world wasn't actually destroyed. And I'm, you know, I'm 
coming into the world for the first time in 35 years, having had this weird ordeal happen. Like we don't see him deal with any of that. No. And to me, that seems strange, but also like this movie has a lot to get through and we just don't have the time. We haven't even talked about the subplot where the homeless guys living in the bombed out skinhead bar worship the people from the floor. Right. So the father, the mother and the son. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we even address that? Like, it's it's so bonkers, and they keep coming back to it. Yeah, they like, found what? like built this whole religion around it. It's insane. What a weird subplot for your romantic comedy. Yeah, like what what do you do with this? I don't know. <laughs> but it's also like this movie is two hours long, and it had to fill that time with something. Was this really the best use of our time? Ah. Because it takes such a weird such a weird turn and i feel like movies don't take those risks anymore like yeah let's have a weird religion in the middle of our you know pg-13 somewhat chaste swing dance movie like i love that yeah that's that's just fucking bonkers it just goes for it just just let just to let a weird idea play itself out i i I can get behind that sure yeah i'm i'm here for I, it. and i will say uh, my favorite part of that whole thing my favorite joke is when uh, christopher walken comes up for the first time and he tells the guy don't mess with my elevator and so the next time we see the guy he has scrawled that phrase don't mess with my elevator on the wall behind him <laughs> like this is the word of god <laughs> don't mess with you. my elevator and also with you <laughs> and also with you <laughs> so adam did go home with sophia Mm-hmm. But he didn't stay with her, meaning they didn't do it. Right. Um, and they have a romantic moment, and he sings on the street where you live, and they kiss. Now, remember how earlier I joked that she was a virgin who couldn't drive because that was in Clueless? Mm-hmm. She admits that she's a virgin in this. Oh, and we also see that she can't drive. <laughs> so I was like, oh, shoot. I made that joke in my notes. Um in that early scene. And then I was like, Oh shoot, she really is a virgin who can't drive. I almost wonder if they made that joke on purpose. I amuse myself. (laughs) Um, she, he tells her though, this whole story and she handles it a lot better than I think either you or I, which is just like, okay, I think you should go home. She keeps her composure better than we probably would because yeah, he, he leaves and then the next the next day or soon after, she has called the psychiatrist to come and pick him up. Yes, which is sad. Yes. Um, and awful. And you feel really bad for him, but he runs away and manages to locate the adult bookstore that is above his home. Mm-hmm. We once again have uh, the Celeste Prince tune. We hear it a little more here. Yes. And it's kind of a montage where Eve and Troy are, they're going back to Adam's hotel room and they, they find all of his belongings and realize, oh, he was telling the truth. And also- yes all the baseball cards and all of the um, the uh, bonds and stocks. Oh, he's also loaded. <laughs> oh, um, they go into the adult bookstore and you notice the titles are fuzzed out so they can I, keep the PG-13. I rating. did. I did spot that. That was nice. That was funny. Yes. Those are still only 25 cents, though. That's kind of a steal in, in uh, 1999. 1999 LA. That's, that's great. Um, uh, but we, uh, we hear a message that he leaves on our answering machine, a very sweet message. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they start to drive away, but she sees him and runs towards him in slow motion. Yes. But they 
go down into the bunker. They meet. He introduces Eve to his parents and they make a deal. They'll stay in the bunker for two months. And in that time, we get a, a voiceover from Eve explaining that they built them a replica house out in the country so that they can come out of the bunker. They really brush over the there was no nuclear holocaust and everything was fine. And we just wasted 35 years living in a bunker. Right. Uh, yeah. They really brush over that. But the last thing we hear um, is, or the last thing we see is uh, Calvin, the dad, walking around, essentially trying to plan a new bunker because he does not like being out in the real world. Right, because uh, Adam does tell him, like, he lays it out, the, uh, out for him and says, look, there was no bomb. It was, you know, an airplane crash. Calvin does not believe him. <laughs> Calvin has already watched a little too much Fox News and does not believe anything his son says. Yes, Calvin would absolutely be in QAnon right now. Mm-hmm. I also like... Approach it with that kind of cynicism, but good Lord. I Yeah, I know. I mean, that's the world we live in now. And the other thing I was thinking about as I was watching the end of this movie is like, they really came out of the bunker at the wrong time because they get a good year or two to enjoy the 90s before the Y2K panic happens and then 9-11 happens and the entire world is just shattered all over again. Yeah, you kind of want But I like to think he had the bunker built by that point so he could just go back in. Yeah, he's like, you know what? This sucks. I'm going back down. Live out his days in the bunker. I don't That's blame fine. him. No. It was funny because as I was watching this, I was like, okay, okay. Well, I'll hear you out on the bunker. Mm-hmm. Okay. He makes it look so doable. Uh-huh. Yeah. The other thing that I like is that uh, as they're kind of glossing over the end of the movie and everything that's happened, they have decided to turn the original bunker into a retro 60s themed nightclub run by the guy who um, looked over whatever you want to call that place, Purgatory. Yeah. And all the places before it, now he can, you know, run the last iteration right so he's he's he changed himself he changed himself around so quickly and now he's in like businessman mode (laughs) (laughs) he really is a fucking yuppie man (laughs) but he always said he would run that place and then he finally died you just had to give him a chance yeah and so the the last thing we hear as as uh, christopher walken is plotting out the next bunker and the 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 camera you know zooms out and we go to credits, the last thing we hear is Randy Newman's political science. Let's go to a clip. See what happened. We give them money. But are they grateful? No, they're spiteful and they're hateful. They don't respect us. So let's surprise them. We'll drop the big one. Pulverize them. And you're going to hate me. This is this was my favorite song on the album. The first time I listened to it, I didn't think much of it. I just thought, oh, it's just Randy Newman babbling about whatever he sees on TV. But then, like, I started actually listening to it and going, oh, this is actually kind of, like, sarcastic and clever. And oh. I, don't, I don't know. I just kind of appreciated, Like, you know what? Yeah, the whole world hates us. Fuck it. Just drop the bombs already. Andy Newman, and nothing is ever going to change that. I do admire 
his ability to put absolute bitter darkness over the corniest melodies possible in order to make for an absolutely unlistenable music experience. But that's really all the man has going for him. And so here's what I need you to explain to me as our resident Randy Newman fan. Uh Oh, why were, why was there a renaissance in the fucking nineties? I just, I don't get it. This song is from 1972 because poly sci majors have always been insufferable. Um, but why? I blame Disney because they like, resurrected him in 1995 for Toy Story. I mean, yeah, you answered your own question. It was Toy Story. This is also 1999, the year that he wrote literally the saddest song ever recorded for Toy Story 2. Ah, from Monk which features his terrifically stupid song, It's a Jungle Out There, as the, which started in the show's second season in 2003, and then it won an Emmy. <laughs> Why do we keep doing this? Enough Randy Newman. I hate him so much. I, I hate Randy Newman. I'm sorry. I don't know. All I can say is I appreciated the fact that this song was just a sarcastic <laughs> fart noise at the end of this really strange, stupid movie much heart and is so weirdly sweet and then it's just like no it isn't (laughs) randy newman (laughs) i hate it i hate it so much (laughs) so long it's like from the bottom of my heart and this is how you repay me this is also exactly why i wanted to play this game because i knew you would react like this when i told you softball in the world right you hit me with randy newman right and on any other any other album like everclear any folk version of everclear no in any other album i you would be raking me over the coals for liking the fucking dish wallace song so you know what i'll 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 take the randy newman over that okay god (laughs) disappointed in you well now that now that we've ended the album and the the soundtrack in shame uh, what do we think of the soundtrack to Blast from the Past? I love it. Um, I don't know if I would listen to it as a whole, but I love its weird balance between uh, its its roots in mid-century pop, mm-hmm. it, it, its expression of the cynical 90s, and also capturing that last gasp of 90s uh, swing revival. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of successful and I kind of love this movie. I don't, I don't know if I'd watch this movie again because it's a, it is a weird watching experience, but I appreciate what it did. I appreciate it's, it's just devotion to being as weird as it is. It never yeah. quite sticks the landing on anything it does. It's kind of soft for a romantic comedy. Like there's never any doubt that these two are going to get together. There's not a whole lot of tension. Um, but also there's a weird cult in the middle of it. <laughs> and it's got such a bonkers premise that I kind of respect it. We don't see films made like this anymore. Yeah. And especially like a, a, for a movie as um, like dedicated and tied to like the, the atomic bomb scare as it was like, I have just appreciate the fact that it's like this bright and sunny and just, fun as it is like Brendan Fraser really carries this on his back and he's so sweet he just carries that sweetness he really does like this movie would not work without him and I'll say (laughs) I'll say earlier this week I watched a movie called Miracle Mile 
Are you familiar with that? I am not. It, it came out in the late '80s. It's got Anthony Edwards in it, but it's it's a a nuclear holocaust scare movie where like he finds out that oh they're gonna drop the bombs in an hour. I have to find my girlfriend before all hell breaks loose. And it's That's like fun. it's like a the the literal nightmare version nightmare scenario version of that story. And so like to go from that to this, which is just like yeah. So what if that didn't happen? I love it. It makes me love this and appreciate it even more because Miracle Mile is a fucking nightmare. That sounds stressful. You seem like you've had a stressful cinematic week. I have had a rough week, everybody. So you know what? Just let me have Randy Newman for a minute, okay? <laughs> have Randy Newman, but I'm thank not you. Be all, with all I'm really saying here is that I love LA. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we doing next time? Well, it's going to be one of our on the fives episodes, and. Just because you and I really like talking about Star Wars and we've we've kind of saved Star Wars talk for off podcast. But next episode, we're going to give you all like mainline a huge dose of you of Libby and I being huge Star Wars nerds. And we're going to talk about some of our favorite Star Wars themed songs. Uh, so songs inspired by a galaxy far, far away. That's right. We're not talking about the holiday special. We're not really talking about. You know, Bill Murray, which, you know, we could still bring that up, but of course. there's a whole galaxy of songs out there that we can get into. So I'm excited for this one. It's going to be fun. It's going to be wild. Uh, so until then, Libby, where can our listeners find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at Libby Cudmore. You can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday, or you can listen to me over on the Misbehaven podcast. We're about to go on hiatus. We have just finished up season two of The Righteous Gemstones. And season three has not been uh, formally announced yet. I think it's on its way, the show at least. So I, I yeah. hope I hope season three of Misbehaving is not too far behind. Yes, we just don't have a, an air date. Right. So Joe, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on, on Twitter and Instagram at Cordial Wombat. I'm sure I'll join Spoutable next week when it drops or whatever. Um, you can also listen to me yell about Christmas movies all year round on the Christmas Creeps podcast. We haven't really uh kicked off our new year yet but it's coming soon so stay tuned for that and if you have anything you'd like to send our way to the ost party you can email us at ostpartypod at gmail.com you can tweet at us at ost party or um you know go to your favorite podcatcher of choice itunes apple music spotify leave us a star rating and a review tell people what you think of the show we would really appreciate it always all right. So for the OST party, I'm Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. Duck and cover. <laughs>